Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. Today on KUNC's Colorado Edition, a collaborative made up of area newsrooms, public libraries, journalists, and media scholars launched in the fall. It's called the Northern Colorado Deliberative Journalism Project, and the aim is to strengthen local journalism, which is essential to a functioning democracy. If we're going to save democracy, I think it's going to be local communities rising up and building up a culture in that community uh, of different kind of conversations that helps us move forward on these issues. We'll hear more about the project in just a moment. And later, there aren't a lot of jobs for songwriters in rural Northeast Colorado, but music is still being made, even if it feels far from the creative heart of the state. We'll hear how rural living inspires two musicians and their art. Today is Monday, April 4th. I'm Erin O'Toole, and this is Colorado Edition from KUNC. In many parts of the country, sources of local journalism are in decline. A recent report from the Center for Information, Technology, and Public Life at the University of North Carolina notes that more than a fourth of the country's newspapers have disappeared, and residents in thousands of communities now live in a news desert. This matters because local news outlets play an essential role in keeping the community informed about elections, public safety, and what their local representatives are up to. Local journalism also helps to inform common values that create a sense of shared purpose within a community. When a source for local news goes away, social media often steps in to fill that void, leaving residents vulnerable to mis- and disinformation and leading to greater political polarization. With this in mind, a collaborative of area newsrooms, public libraries, journalists, and media scholars launched in the fall. It's called the Northern Colorado Deliberative Journalism Project, and the aim is to strengthen local journalism by reimagining the current information ecosystem and elevating our ability to tackle shared problems in a more thoughtful, constructive way. To learn more, I'm talking with Martin Carcassen. He's a professor of communication studies at Colorado State University and the director of CSU's Center for Public Deliberation, or CPD, which is part of the NOCO Deliberative Journalism Project's core team. So where did the idea about reimagining local journalism get started? In a few different places. You know, the, the, the CPD has been around now for about 15 years, right? And our, and our broader kind of mission is helping the community have the conversations it needs to have for, for democracy to work and for us to take on our shared problems. Uh, you know, initially the CBD was much more event focused, right? It was about these events that were running in the community, people coming together. But then as we kind of developed, we realized that, uh, you know, we need to focus on the conversations that, you know, people that don't show up at our meetings, the, the broader kind of conversation that's happening in the community. So that started connecting us to local newsrooms and, and different organizations and League of Women Voters and, you know, what are all the different components of a community that are part of supporting the conversations we need to have. Um, and then really the specific thing that happened when the Colorado dropped their opinion page five or six years ago, 
you know, I felt that a little bit of as a loss, right? Uh, you know, there, there's some negative things to it, like letters of the editor aren't always great quality, right? You know, but it was this community resource for conversation. Uh, so that started me thinking about how do we replace that, right? And it it started helping me understand some of the realities of, of local journalism, right? Uh, that running an opinion page takes a lot of time, right? And it takes a lot of effort and staff time. And uh, so that really kind of started sparking of like, you know, how can we help with that? How can we maybe, uh, you know, support the Colorado or create our new one? That got me connected to some national sources like the American Press Institute that have been having ongoing conversations of reimagining editorial journalism. And that kind of got me connected to that world uh, that there's so many connections between the work I do on supporting local democracy and the growing work to support local journalism. Uh, so exploring that connection. Right? Talk a little bit about the link between community engagement that is constructive and journalism. Yeah, I mean, democracy requires high quality communication, right? We need good information, uh, which has always been kind of, you know, one of the, the primary kind of functions of journalism. Uh, but with the internet and with the hyperpolarization uh, that we're dealing with in politics, just providing information isn't enough, right? Uh, people gravitate towards information that fits their current perspective, right? And, and misinformation can can travel pretty quickly and um, you know, conspiracy theories and so forth, right? So we're, we're realizing that we need to think more deeply and use different processes. Just providing the information isn't enough, right? Uh, so, you know, CBD has always been about, yes, we have a baseline of information that we provided at our meetings, uh, but then we have, you know, a, a process designed for people to have, you know, to interact and, and, and uh, talk through each other and uh, discussion guides for them to kind of react, you know. So all those components that we've been working on for the last 15 years uh, are really refining that to help us have these better conversations and kind of avoid triggering the worst of human nature uh, with the polarization and, and things. Uh, or we're working to translate that to journalism. How can journalism, uh, you know, provide a, a, a broader base for those kind of conversations, right? And sometimes that might be a traditional CPD event, right? That we, uh, you know, still come together face-to-face -face and have conversations, uh, but how can we start, uh, you know, adapting things to online or on air or, you know, that, that provide examples of these different kind of conversations? Well, this is definitely a long-term, long-range project. What does this look like in the early stages here? Yeah, you know, so initially we got started last fall. Uh, we, we had a small grant from the American Press Institute that was, uh, you know, supporting kind of innovative uh, journalism in a sense. Uh, so we, we started with kind of a core team that was myself for the CPD, uh, the Coloradan, uh, so the, the editor there, uh, of helping out and, and Rebecca Powell, who's the content strategist has been on the core team from the beginning. Um, and then we connected with the journalism and media communication department here at CSU. So Mike Humphreys is, is one uh, a former journalist who's a communication uh, journalist professor now. Uh, and then also our political science department and the Strayer Center that does a lot of work. Um, you know, so that was the initial core team This collaborative. Uh, it's grown now, right? So we're now connecting to, to, to you guys at KUNC. We're also connected to the library system. Uh, we also have someone from the core team uh, at CSU from the Department of, of Languages, Literatures, and Cultures, uh, particularly a Spanish professor that's going to help us kind of connect with the Spanish-speaking community. Uh, which you know a big part of deliberative journalism is making sure all voices are heard and and everyone has a chance to kind of engage um you know, so, so that kind of keeps on growing in a sense of this collaborative all based on this idea that you know local journalism is too important right um it it, it has to be seen as a public good it has to be something that and, and it doesn't happen naturally 
So how do all these entities that have uh, you know, different commitments to democracy and to good information uh, work together to create something new in Northern Colorado that really lets us have uh, the quality of journalism and, and, and the overall kind of information ecosystem that, that we need to thrive. And it feels like such an important moment for something like this because you've talked about democracy is under stress right now, under strain. And at the same time, local journalism in many places is as well. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we, we talk about this as kind of these dual crises, right? I've, I've been working on the crisis of democracy. You know, democracy is hard. Democracy requires uh, our brains to work in ways that don't, doesn't naturally work, right? Uh, our brains are particularly susceptible to people that are feeding us simple narratives and conspiracy theories. And um, the, the term that's being used now is, is conflict entrepreneurs, right? Uh, or the, the outrage industrial complex, right? There's, there's a lot of people getting rich or popular, uh, you know, telling us what we want to hear and getting us angry. Um, having the kind of conversations we try to spark in the CPD of really, you know, working through the tension, seeing kind of problems uh, as wicked problems that have multiple underlining tensions that we have to work through is not natural, right? So we, we have to build up that habit for it. We have to use good process for it. Um, and so one way to kind of build that up in our community um, is, is to you know, bring in more partners and thinking about this you know, newer form of journalism um, that, that borrows from these principles and see if we can kind of spark the, the broader kind of conversation. Right. You just mentioned wicked problems, and I wanted to ask about that because it, it seems like that might be a focus for this, kind of taking something that is a long-running problem, that see a solution for which seems elusive. Is that something you're going to focus on with this? Yeah, I mean, wicked problems is certainly kind of a baseline concept for the CPD, right? Uh, and it is this broader idea, a lot of it informed from the, you know, the social psychology and brain science, uh, you know, we, we want we want to see problems through a pretty simple lens, right? We're narrative creatures that really like to interpret things in terms of, you know, good versus evil, a hero and a victim and a villain. Uh, so, so with most issues, we, we inherently gravitate towards trying to find the villain, right? To assume the, the wicked person that's the cause of the problem, bad people with bad values. Well, a wicked problems perspective kind of shifts and says, what if we, instead of the easy assumption of, of problems caused by wicked people, what if we put the wickedness in the problem? And it's this notion that most complex issues, most of the broader social issues we're dealing with, they inherently involve a lot of underlining values that don't fit together very well. But we don't tend to engage that, right? Our brains want to pick one value at a time and frame it as, hey, I'm for a good thing. Therefore, anyone who disagrees with me is, a is for a bad thing, right? Our, our brains love assuming uh, you know, the people that we disagree with, uh, you know, defining them by what they're against rather than really understanding what they're for and, you know, likely the tension between that. You know, so a lot of our work is with tough issues, identifying the underlining tensions and interests that people care about, put them on the table and put people in a situation where they can do the hard work of you know, trying to find the right balance uh, or you know, doing a, a recalibrating uh, or, or hopefully transcending some of those tensions and getting creative. Right. So, so that idea of reframing issues as a wicked problem is a particular way to hopefully shift from lighting up the worst parts of our brain to actually tapping into the best of our brain and then hopefully moving the needle on the issues that we care about. Right. So much of your work and your background is kind of around this and having constructive conversations. How do we teach ourselves 
new ways to have these conversations we need to have that are sometimes really difficult? Yeah, no, I mean, it, the good news is, you know, while, uh, you know, a lot of the, the brain sciences or psychology shows how we're, you know, our brains are much more wired for polarization than they are for deliberation naturally, we do also know the more you do this, the easier it is to do, right? You, you start training your brain, you, you build new paths. Uh, you know, big part of the story of the CBD, you know, has been, you know, every event that we run, you know, a few people after that event just kind of realize, like, we need to have this conversation about this issue, right? So once you introduce people to uh, a different way of speaking, an authentic kind of conversation, uh, a difficult one, uh, but they see the value of it and they start demanding more, right? So that's hopefully the, the positive feedback loop. You know, we talk a lot about the, you know, the dual crisis of democracy and journalism. And in some way, there's a negative feedback loop there, like as journalism struggles, then democracy struggles and, and back and forth, and they, they unfortunately feed each other negatively. But the opposite can also be true. As we start improving local journalism, that can have impacts on, on local democracy and vice versa, and we turn it into a virtual loop. And the more people that start learning how to have better conversations uh, and build you know, better habits towards collaboration and deliberation, the easier it's going to do to keep on, you know, get that ball rolling. So that's really obviously the hope here in northern Colorado, the work that we're doing, but also across the country. I think if we're going to save democracy, I think it's going to be local communities rising up and building up a culture uh, in that community uh, of different kind of conversations that helps us move forward on these issues. Martine Carcassen with the Center for Public Deliberation at CSU. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about this. Yeah, thank you so much, Aaron, for having me. The No-Code Deliberative Journalism Project is hosting its first meeting of the core team that's open to the public this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And the project's next webinar will focus on how to recognize and combat misinformation. That's scheduled for May 12th. You'll find more information and a link to join today's virtual meeting at 2 o'clock today at KUNC.org or in the show notes. Rural Northeast Colorado has fewer employed artists than any other region in the state, according to a 2020 report. While musicians, dancers, and fashion designers may sell a lot less out there, they are still creating. KUNC's Adam Reyes recently went to Yuma County to hear two musicians of different generations discuss their craft. Robert Anderson lives in the city of Yuma, where he was born and raised in a music-filled home. The 72-year-old has made music professionally for most of his adult life. He's composed jingles, fronted bluegrass bands, and wrote a Billboard chart-topping hit. And he's not the only one creating melodic sounds out here. 16-year-old Joey Weyamora of Ray hopes to join the region's small ranks of career artists. While he's still figuring out his musical future, Weyamora writes and produces songs using an electronic keyboard and computer. The pair met at Northeast Junior College in Yuma to discuss rural music making at their different ages. Anderson starts by asking young Weyamora, Who inspires you? So most of the musicians I've been inspired by or listened to, they've come through 4th uh, and Main in Ray. They have a listening room and they hold concerts there. My parents have taken me to those concerts um, ever since we were little. So. For, for a small town, you get some pretty pretty talented artists like um, the Steel Wheels, the Talbot Brothers, the Mulligan Brothers. That's sort of um, more folk, bluegrass influence that I get that from. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I know about 4th and Main, the music venue in Ray, and, and I go down with friends every once in a while, and I've had friends play there. Thank you guys very much for having us tonight at 4th and Main. How has living in rural Yuma County impacted the songs you write? <laughs> well, it gives me a lot of alone time to work on songs. Living in rural Yuma County really made me want to leave and go place, other places because, you know, after I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Colorado, and it just opened up my mind, you know, because it's a university town. There's people from all over the world there. So I guess the best thing I would say about living in rural Yuma County, my family was a big inspiration on my music and what I did. I do write rural songs every once in a while, too, so... I have a song called Small Town Boy. On the plains, on the plains, where it hardly ever rains, and a cold, cold wind blows. You think that a river can run uphill when there's no place left to go. Well, I'll come right back at you, Joey. How has living in rural Yuma County impacted the songs you write? Um, I'd say similar to you. I've kind of gotten lucky with the people around me. But uh, on a school trip, actually, I went to Nashville. I think that was one of the best uh, experiences for me, just getting out of the rural setting where there's not really a lot of reference to go off of. Uh, it's pretty much your family, you, and then any artist that happened to stop by. Um, I'd say overall, it's been a really positive thing to be in a, a small town. Because you can go go out and get sort of newer genres, that exposure. You can get that anytime you want. But it's kind of hard to find uh, a small town and the folky, bluegrassy, that sort of music. You don't, you don't see that a whole lot. So I take those, I'd say, chord progressions that they have, put them on different instruments, different software, see what it sounds like. And then um, I'll kind of take what, in my opinion, I think sounds best. So I, I don't know if it's really a specific genre that I'm in. Do you plan to continue to live here as you pursue your music? Uh, I'll just kind of have to see where I end up. I plan to go to college and somewhere around here within hopefully driving distance of home. I have like a few majors I could go into, but I'm, I'm looking heavily into music. And if I do music, I'll most likely try and get back around this area. With the internet, I can pretty much work from a lot of places and I'd rather work from close to home than anywhere else. Why did you choose to stay in Yuma? Well, I didn't really stay in Yuma. I spent the first 18 years of my life here, but then I went to Boulder and I lived there for over 30 years and a lot of that time I was traveling performing uh, you know all over the United States Canada Europe a few times I kind of not really gotten tired of traveling but um, I kind of feel like it's reached its conclusion there's not too many places I really want to go right now so for the last 10 years or so I've been just working along the front range of Colorado and up in the up in the mountains then I realized if I just got up early I could do that from Yuma because um, when my parents passed away, the house came to me, and so I just decided to live here to try it out. And it's, it's worked out okay. So 
I will continue to live here while I'm doing music. You think your career would have been different if you would have stayed more in an urban setting? Yes, definitely. So I used to spend a lot of time in New York City, and I actually thought about moving there once. Sure, it's, it's competitive, and it's the level of quality of music is just great, but then you, there's that other 85% of your life where you have to live in this place and do all your other stuff. Manhattan is like this giant being and it's with you all the time and you have to know how to live there and do that and so you just have to have that kind of personality and, and be there and be able to understand that yeah I, I definitely want to go to a big city just to just to live do you want to sing lead or do you want to sing harmony i'll probably do do harmony i guess okay you are my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy what advice do you have for me? Just keep trying, trying different things. I found myself trying dozens of different things, and I didn't quit them because they didn't work. It's just because I realized that's ultimately not where I wanted to go, but I learned a wealth of information about it. So yeah. go where your fingers lead you, your talent leads you. You'll never know, dear, how much Thank you for talking to me. It's been fun. Pleasure. Yeah. I didn't know you were down the road. Please don't take my sunshine away. Those were Yuma County residents and musicians Robert Anderson and Joey Weyamora. Adam Reyes, KUNC. This story was produced in part with the America Amplified Initiative, using community engagement to inform and strengthen local, regional, and national journalism. America Amplified is a public media initiative funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And one more piece of news to leave you with before we wrap up. County clerks from across Colorado gathered yesterday to push back against claims of election fraud by what they call well-funded election conspiracy groups. In an emailed press release, members of the Colorado County Clerks Association demanded that any clear and compelling evidence of fraud be provided to law enforcement officials. They issued this demand ahead of a rally planned for tomorrow at the steps of the state capitol that organizers are calling the Colorado Election Truth Rally. Clerks say the false narratives around election fraud have jeopardized their safety. That's it for today's Colorado edition. Our executive producer is Sean Corcoran. Digital is handled by Ashley Jeffcoat. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back Wednesday with more news from Northern Colorado. 